Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 15, The Forbidden Forest. Things couldn't have been worse. Filch took them down to Professor McGonagall's study on the first floor, where they sat and waited without saying a word to each other. Hermione was trembling. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Matt Potts. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Vanessa, our theme this week is punishment, provided to us by a beloved listener, Lauren Taylor. And you are going to kick us off by telling a story about punishment. Yeah. So I am going to tell a story about this thing that happened with the kids. And you're going to decide whether or not it was a punishment. (laughs) It was one of the first times that I was left alone with the children. And they were fighting on the top of the stairs, like physically fighting, you know, pushing, shoving, that kind of thing. And I was like, look, you guys can keep fighting, but you can't keep fighting at the top of the stairs. And they said, yeah, sure. And they kept fighting. And I was like, no, seriously, guys, you're allowed to fight. You just can't fight with risk of death. Like mild injury, I'm fine with, right? Like a scratch or whatever. Like, it's fine. They can play fight, but they can't play fight at the top of the stairs. They can't play fight where there is like acute risk of serious injury. So finally, I told them the third time I was like, move away from the stairs. And they didn't. And so I said, okay, I have to separate the two of you. And I put one of the kids in one room. And she was very happy to go in that room. And I put another one of the kids in the other room. And she said, you don't have the right to punish me. And I was really surprised by this. I wasn't surprised about the like, you don't have the right part. I was surprised that she saw it as a punishment. I was like, I'm not trying to punish you. I'm trying to prevent you from death. Like there was nothing punitive. It was merely about separation. 
And so I think that that is one of the interesting things about punishment is that to some extent, it has nothing to do with intent. Like the way that one of the kids reacted was like, great, I get to go into this room and like read my books. Awesome. And the other kid was like, no, no, this is horrible. How dare you? And so I just often think that punishment is separate from intent. I mean, it didn't sound like punishment to Amy because she was not suffering, right? But it did feel like punishment to Emma. And this is interesting because actually the root word comes from the Latin for pain. It means to subject someone to pain. Oh. And so, you know, whenever not your stepdaughter felt pain, that's what makes it count as punishment in some ways, right? Like, does it hurt? Because if it doesn't hurt, then you're not getting what punishment is supposed to give you. Now, a lot of other meanings have attached to punishment over time. Like you can think about deterrence or rehabilitation or even pedagogy. Like, can you teach people through disciplining them in some way? In fact, the word discipline comes from the word for student, right? So like all these things overlap in really complicated ways, but this idea that Amy did not see it as punishment, but Emma did, their reactions are distinguishable by the degree to which they felt it was an imposition of suffering, I think. And so, yeah. So you're right. I think the way you framed it, which is like your intention didn't matter. I think it does matter because I think if you intend to cause someone pain, that's then you're intending to punish them, right? Right. But if you do end up causing them pain, then it might feel like punishment to them. And maybe it really is punishment, depending on how we would want to define it, right? Right. So it's time for the 30-second recap. Okay. I'm counting you in. Yes, please. Okay. Three, two, one. Go. So the kids are in trouble and McGonagall takes away 150 points from Gryffindor and Neville sobs himself to sleep. But then the real punishment comes. All of the other Gryffindors are disappointed in them. But then the real punishment comes. They get sent down to the forest because someone has been attacking unicorns and Hagrid has them help find who's been attacking the unicorns. Harry sees a unicorn attack, so does Draco. Draco's scared and runs away. The centaurs help Harry escape and get back to safety with Hagrid. Excellent. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Okay. On your mark. Get set. Go. So they go to McGonagall's, and McGonagall is very upset and takes a lot of points away. And uh, they are very upset because all the Gryffindors are very mad at them for making for ruining their chances of winning anything. And um, and Harry hears Quirrell like sounding very scared, and so Harry, Harry thinks that something bad is happening. But then they go out to detention in the Forbidden Forest, and Filch is not nice to them. And then they're looking for uh, unicorns which have been attacked, and they meet some centaurs, and one unicorn is dead and being eaten by some slithery thing that's scary, and it attacks Harry. But Forensic protects Harry, and then they go back to. Sorry, a little long, but it was okay. No, you did great. You got some things that I forgot. You know, every week we choose a theme and we try not to choose like anticipating the content of the chapter to come. But this week's theme was given to us by a listener. And I have to say, like, it seems very on the nose for this chapter because the chapter opens with this scene of McGonagall assigning punishment and punishment that seems outside the realm of what's normal for Hogwarts even, right? This extremely severe docking of points, like 50 points each, so much that it completely upends the House Cup competition. And then in addition to that, detention. And then as we go further along in the chapter, we find out that the punishment to which they're going is like potentially mortally dangerous. (laughs) So this is... This is some serious punishment. Yes. I mean, whether or not the punishment is mortally dangerous, I think is another question that I do think we should get to. But it is interesting, right? I feel like the punishment is so severe for two reasons. One is that McGonagall feels like the castle is a more dangerous place than usual, right? You know, she says, kids roaming around at night. I've never seen anything like that. And it's dangerous, especially now. And what bothers me about that is that there's technically no reason that the kids should know that this is an especially dangerous time. The kids aren't supposed to know about Fluffy. The kids aren't supposed to know that the Sorcerer's Stone is in the castle. So if they don't know that it's a higher risk, in my opinion, they shouldn't be punished for it being a higher risk situation. But then the second reason, right, that she states is that she's never seen anything so egregious of four students out of bed and in the astronomy tower in the middle of the night. And that, I think, is a fair thing, right? It's like, if she has really never seen anything this egregious, 
But I I feel like she's confusing the two or conflating the two. Like, how dangerous is it for kids to be wandering around the castle in the middle of the night? And if it is that dangerous, then that seems to me to be a flaw with the castle, not with the kids. Yes. So I think the second part of that I agree with, right, which is, is a school for children the best place to house the most dangerous objects known? (laughs) Right? This is the strategy from the teaching staff at Hogwarts. But this is the choice they've made. However, I think the students have some signal that things are less safe than normal, right? At the beginning of term, Dumbledore said, anyone who doesn't want to die a painful death, don't go anywhere near the third floor. Sure, but he doesn't even send home a flyer saying that. You say something once to kids, like during the opening feast. Do you really think that that is a fair warning? But then a troll wanders in, which is not an everyday happenstance, it sounds like. I think that there's this sense that things are not... Sure, sure, sure. Right. However, I think none of that undermines your central point, which is, like, it should not be this unsafe (laughs) at the the place. And also, like, the thing about the Forbidden Forest is, you know, whether or not there's a possible mortal danger of them going into the Forbidden Forest. We know the Forbidden Forest is dangerous. Yeah. One of the rules is that you're not allowed to be there. One of the rules is you're not allowed to be there. So, like, that seems like an outlandish punishment to say your detention is to accompany our giant gamekeeper out into the most dangerous place around to try to figure out what's murdering pure defenseless creatures. Yeah. And so we need 11-year-olds to do this work with Hagrid. That seems, like, wrong. Even before that, it seems outrageous. I'm like, they have to stay up till 11 p.m. and not sleep for a night. Like, even before we know how dangerous it is, I'm already outraged. Like, 11-year-olds need sleep. How are they going to learn? I feel like punishments within a school should never impede a student's learning. That's why I never understand suspension as a punishment. It just feels like punishment is often completely sightless from a goal. And it's just about anger and retribution, and people have not articulated to themselves why they are going through with the punishment. McGonagall, I feel like in this moment, she's just shocked and is upset. But why does Neville deserve the same punishment as Ron and Hermione? And Neville was out of bed for a totally different reason. And so I don't feel like she is being astute in the way that she is doling out this punishment. Yeah, I think that's right. And even if you're thinking about like the point stockage versus the detention. It sounds to me, Vanessa, that you're very much kind of defending punishment only insofar as it actually serves a pedagogical purpose and no further, right? If it's yes. just superfluously attempting to impose pain, then no reason, right? And we, what we know from the point dockage is that's sufficient to teach the lesson that we want Harry to learn. Because remember, Harry gets curious about what's going on with the quarrel, and then he's like, nope, not risking this again. Losing the points was painful enough that I'm not going to risk that again, right? You could see that form of punishment as teaching its lesson effectively. But then there's this idea of the like connection between punishment and authority, because it always depends upon what you're trying to teach the person. I'm not saying this is what McGonagall is doing, but you can imagine in lots of situations where people are punished, like the lesson that is being taught by the authority is, I am the authority, <laughs> right? Like, yes, I am doing this so you know that I have the power to do this. And so next time, when I don't give you all the information you need to make a wise choice, you just do what I say, right? I think you could see McGonagall as saying, like, I can send you out into the forbidden forest in the middle of the night because I have the authority to do that. So next time, if I tell you not to go up into the astronomy tower, it won't be because you know or don't know the actual risks. It will be because I said so, and that is a thing you need to learn. And that's where you know, punishment gets uncomfortable because insofar as it's related to authority, it creeps into authoritarianism, right? And it's just sort of the only thing that matters is that I'm the one in charge. Now, I don't think that's what McGonagall's doing, but it seems like some of these punishments in this case are superfluous and unnecessarily dangerous and unnecessarily severe or even cruel. And that there's something else is going on there. So Matt, I'm going to say this and I'll figure out whether or not I mean it. I really think that McGonagall is really missing the mark here. This is a school. And so if punishment should be based in pedagogy ever, it should be in a school. And the fact that this was so high risk, the move should be go to Dumbledore and say four kids were out of bed last night and I got scared out of my mind because they could 
actually get hurt. And four kids being nosy and getting out of bed should not be a life and death situation at a school. And I just think that that is often the case. We try to exert authority when what we should be doing is trying to change the system or trying to build trust, right? I can imagine McGonagall using exactly the eloquent justification that you used, right, of like, I'm going to exert my authority so that next time I tell you something, you believe me without question because I might not be able to explain to you why a situation is dangerous. But the other way to do that is with building trust, right? And like being a little vulnerable and saying, look, I can't always tell you what's at risk, but you should know that I'm only going to do that when I really mean it. And like, please believe me, I have your best interest at heart. And so I'm not saying that like no one should ever be punished. I just think that punishment should only happen if it's actually going to teach something. Otherwise, it's something else, right? And I think that there are three different punishers. There's McGonagall, and then there's Filch, and then there's Hagrid. And I think Hagrid does the best job, right? He's like, you guys did something wrong, and so now you have to give something back to this community, right? He says, Draco's like, I thought you were going to have us write lines. I can't believe you're having us like actually do something in the forest. And Hagrid's like, what good does writing lines do? If you break trust in this community, you have to give back to this community, But he's the only one who actually articulates like a pedagogical ideal of this punishment. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the language he actually uses is you have to pay it back, right? Right. And thinking about punishment as a payment is maybe someplace else we can go. That's really complicated. Yeah. The way Filch puts it, Filch says pain is the best teacher, right? Yes. It says hard work and pain are the best teachers. Yes, hard work and pain are the best teachers. Right. And so for Phil, she's saying like, no, you're going to learn your lesson. The question is, what, what's the lesson we're trying to teach you? Like, is the lesson we're trying to teach you be wary of dragons? Or is the lesson we're trying to teach you do what we say because you need to know your place, right? And one of the things that's really disturbing when we look at systems of punishment in our culture, in the United States American culture, right, is like the systemization of punishment here because it is so highly racialized, because we are the most incarcerated nation in the world, like a lot of what goes for punishment here is not about teaching a valuable lesson, the likes of which Haggard wants to teach. The lesson that's being taught is know your place. Yeah. Right? Like this is your place in our society. This is your place in our culture. So if you have a minor offense, but you do it three times, you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison, right? Which is, again, the only lesson that's being taught. And I think Filch would like this. The only lesson that's being taught is know your place, right? The other thing that's just interesting about what you're saying is like this, bringing up this question of trust. So there's this German philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche, and he has this long meditation upon the nature of punishment. And he links it actually to, to trust and promises. He says that because humans have this particular conception of time, we make promises. We can tell you how things are going to be in the future, right? The problem with it is we can't always make our promises come true because we can't actually tell you how it's going to be in the future. And so when we break promises, humans develop this way of holding us accountable to the promises we have made. And he says pain is a mnemonic. It's a reminder. Like nothing reminds you better than to feel pain. So I think you're right. This idea of punishment is really closely related to trust. But I like that that you are moving it away from the kind of dark Nietzschean kind of cruel register in which he takes it and towards a more like community upbuilding register, which is like, okay, what would it mean for us to actually have trust in each other? How should we treat each other when there has been a betrayal of trust so that trust can be built rather than further eroded by cruelty or excessive harm or whatever? Right. We see in the chapter, it's often the wrong people who are punished. The innocent are going to be the first to die. And I think that that is what is at risk. Like punishment is pain is an imprecise weapon. So we wield it, but we wield it badly and we hurt the wrong people. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimold Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, 
you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. There is another kind of punishment that I see in this chapter where Draco, Neville, Hermione, and Harry are all in the forest And so Neville, Draco, and Fang go off, and then Hermione, Hagrid, and Harry go off. And then there's, like, this switch. And what Hagrid says to Harry, because Harry's now stuck with Draco, is you're less likely to run away. And what that is is punishing someone for being competent or punishing someone for being brave. And one of my students taught me this term. She was essentially an RA who was reporting to me, and she was just really good at her job. So I kept asking her to do things rather than her peers who just were like not quite as good at it. And she was like, this is a competency tax. You're basically punishing me for being good at my job. Can you please ask other people to do their jobs rather than giving me more work? And that is exactly what's happening here with Harry, right? It's like you're brave, so I'm going to make this even harder for you. Yeah, I think that's right. But and again, this is thinking about punishment as the imposition of pain, right? Like, and this is why the rhetorical use of the language of punishment is really interesting in that example, right? Because we think about punishment as something you either deserve or don't deserve. And you certainly don't deserve punishment, don't deserve pain for doing good things, right? right? So when she frames it to you as punishment, what she says is like, instead of getting rewarded for good behavior, I am getting punished for good behavior. In other words, instead of giving me less pain for doing well, you're giving me more pain. And yeah, I think that's that's true. But then there's also a line between which like Harry is actually being punished now. Like Harry is actually being punished. He's actually going into the Forbidden Forest because he's betrayed a rule, because McGonagall has assigned Filch to take him to Hagrid and then help Hagrid with his work, right? So now it's just the work he has to do. I think with the student you were working with, There's also a question of, like, if you're part of a team and being responsible, right? Like, there are going to be more competent and less competent members of a team. And the more competent people are going to have to do the stuff that they're better at sometimes. And that means that it won't always equal out. I think the question there is where you are trying to turn this conversation, I think, quite rightly, over and over again, which is towards, okay, how do we build trust among all of us, right? Clearly, your student was feeling taken advantage of or something, right? And that means... The team is not working together in a way. People do not trust each other to do stuff, right? And so building trust among the the group of you would be a way to frame her maybe taking some extra work in order for the team to function well, as long as there was trust between folks and people understood why and were trying to compensate or help in other ways, right? I think the other thing she was pointing me to is that the rest of the team was competent. 
she had been one of my students and the other yeah. ones hadn't, right? Like I knew her better. And so it was just easy to rely on her. Yeah. And she was like, you're punishing me, right? You're adding pain. You're adding work to my life when these other people are perfectly trustworthy. Yeah. And like, this should be your effort, not my effort. She was teaching me what I wish I could teach McGonagall, right? <laughs> Which is like, rather than punish these children, manage up. Yeah. I mean, it makes me wonder, like, what should McGonagall have done with these children? I mean, apart from managing up, which I think, you know, I think that she needs to ask some serious questions of her headmaster. Like, if, if this is the safest place in the world for the Philosopher's Stone, then we need a different strategy for these children because we still have 11-year-olds in the building, right? And so... Like, put a spell on the third floor. Whatever. Like, yep. they can bewitch the goblet of fire bewitch the third floor yes and and at this point everybody knows that something is going on snape knows and so therefore dumbledore knows that quarrel is up to something maybe hagrid's right maybe the safest place in the world for the philosopher's stone is in hogwarts under dumbledore's like close attention or whatever but if that's the case then you need to build in some different systems for your children because they are still children right and they're still going to do things like wander into the astronomy tower every once in a while right and they, when they do it maybe there is some disciplinary action that needs to be taken sure but manage up but the next question is okay so what is the appropriate punishment for these children i mean what's interesting here is that mcgonagall doesn't even know how bad it got because she thinks the dragon thing is just a lie a cock and bull right. story, as she says, <laughs> right? right? She has no idea how dangerous it, it was. She thinks it's a lot less dangerous than it actually was. I mean, so what's the right kind of disciplinary action here? Make them go to bed early for a month to teach them that, like, there are times that they have to just be in their room. I don't know. The points thing doesn't bother me because yeah. that is, like, a very arbitrary kind of pain. I'm also, yeah. like, not a sports person, like, I'm sure that that pain and agitation is real. So, like, maybe this is just, like, me being condescending to competition. But I'm like, sure, take away points. Like, that is what points are for. To reward right. good community behavior and to, you know, disincentivize, quote-unquote, bad community behavior. Yeah. Like, I'm fine with that. It's the go and lose sleep and do something potentially dangerous and like highly unsupervised and I'll subject you to Filch who's gonna like tell you really violent creepy things about how he keeps his chains greased in case he ever gets to punish them again like that's the stuff that bothers me yeah I'm a little bit more ambivalent about the points thing I think the points thing is stupid also but because I've, all the children at the school care about the points thing what it means is like social isolation and becoming outcasts, right? Like Hermione doesn't care about the points cup, I don't think, as much as Harry or Ron or even Neville does. But I think she does care about all the Gryffindors hating her and hating Neville and hating Harry, right? That kind of social isolation is like a third level of the punishment, which if they had to go to bed at early every night would not be part of it. They would just have to go to bed early every night and maybe they get teased a little bit in the common room when they have to go to bed or maybe they are required to go study in the library in the evenings rather than hang out in the common room. The kind of social isolation that comes with this punishment is like an additional punishment, which is, again, excessive and doesn't teach them much beyond that they can be harmed by the decisions of McGonagall. And also, again, reminds me of systems of punishment and penal justice in this country, right? Because we don't just put people in prison. We deliberately design and place the prisons so that people will be further isolated than maybe they already were and also isolated from the people who care about them most, right? Like I used to visit a, a friend I have who's in a state prison here in Massachusetts, right? And it's yeah. hard to get to the prison unless you have a car and gas money, right? There's no public transportation. There's no good highways, right? So there is something about McGonagall knows that if I take 150 points away, the Gryffindors are all going to hate them, <laughs> right? And it comes true. And that's also part of the punishment. And it seems to me a, a particularly severe part of it. I guess I just think, even though I agree with you that this is completely severe, and I think 50 points would have been noticed just as much as 150 points, right? The kids are actually shocked when she says 50 points, thinking that it covers all three of them. And then she says, no, no, 50 points mm -hmm. each, right? So I think 50 points would have been sufficient. But I do think that one of the lessons, and I think maybe McGonagall should have articulated it specifically, 
is like you matter to this community and therefore like had you been injured this community would have been hurt because we would have missed you and so like your actions hurt this community so we have to represent that in some way well let me propose a different possibility here right because we've been thinking a lot about like what this might or might not teach harry hermione and neville but i'm also now thinking about just carrying forth this line of thought about how much the Gryffindors all hate them afterwards. Like, maybe this is McGonagall sending a message to everyone else at the school, right? Like, things are really dangerous here, and we do need everyone else to pay Mm -hmm. attention. And this is how I can most effectively communicate to the rest of the school that things are dangerous. You know, P.S. Fred and George, who who obey no rules, right? Like, if you right. get caught, this is how many points you're going to lose because this is how serious we are. Like, maybe from her perspective or vantage point, as the person with some authority in this case, it isn't necessarily about teaching Harry, Hermione, Neville a lesson. It's about making sure Fred and George don't go up to the astronomy tower tomorrow because of how much risk there yeah. is in the hallways. However much managing up she's doing at the time, right? Like, sh- this needs to be crystal clear to everybody and the most efficient way to communicate this message and to make people actually afraid to get out of their beds at night when it's not safe is to be excessively severe towards these first years. Yeah. So Matt, there is one other place where punishment gets explored that I really want to talk about. And that is when Draco (laughs) essentially says that being treated like a class lower than his usual class is in and of itself a punishment. Draco says, like, you can't make me do that. That's servant's work. And that doing someone else's whole job, how Hagrid spends his whole life, is a punishment to Draco. And the idea that all of Hagrid's life would be demeaning to Draco, I think that you can learn a lot about a person by what they consider a punishment. And you saw that with right with my stepdaughters. Amy loves alone time. She's a reader. She likes playing by herself. Emma doesn't. Emma's very social. She's an extrovert. She loves being around people. And those are gifts that they both have. And you could just very clearly see, like, one of them was like, okay. And the other one was like, no, this is painful. For Hagrid... Or Fred and George, right, going out into the Forbidden Forest would not be a punishment. But Draco is like, I'm rich. I don't do that. My whole identity finds this to be a punishment. Yeah, in our house, uh, when we assign timeouts, you get the number of minutes that matches your age, right? And the kids Mm -hmm. are always threatening to put me in timeout. And I'm just like, oh, please, you're going to give me 44 minutes to go be (laughs) quiet in my room? Uh, I mean, you want me to? Yes, please. I wish someone would assign me that punishment. I just think it's so funny that we think of certain punishments as, right, like the punishment has to fit the crime. And I'm like, the punishment has to fit the quote unquote criminal, right? Mm -hmm. Like if we think of punishment as pedagogical, which is how I would like for us to think about it, then I think it just like has to be more refined. It's not about the crime. It's about the person. And like all you have to do, like I swear to you, you could punish Draco by like asking him to clear his plate. (laughs) Whereas yeah. Harry, right, like, bench him from the Quidditch team. Yeah, be like, be, yeah. Being on the Quidditch team is a privilege, not a right. Well, I mean, that's tailoring it towards what will cause the most pain, depending upon the person, right? Right. But I think the other way you could think about it, okay, where is the place in which the person most needs to grow? Right. And how do we tailor a reaction to this wrongdoing or a response to this wrongdoing, which is about helping them grow in that way? Sometimes that may be painful because growth is sometimes painful, right? But the pain is not the point. The growth is the point, which is, I think, what we're saying good punishment ought to be. Vanessa, can I just mention one thing before we do our Florilegia practice for today? Please. I'm going to speak more about the centaurs when I give my blessing. But I just wanted to note that in this chapter, Ronan and Bane, the red and black centaurs, are, are kind of jerks to the humans. But the blue-eyed white centaur with a blonde mane rescues Harry. And, you know, one of the things we want to do this season is pay attention to some of these details just because we want to pay attention, like, to the way these, like, subtle signs operate in the text, right? And, like, the red and black centaurs are not likable, and the blonde-haired, blue-eyed one is. And that's just, that's something just to note and to, to pay attention to. You know, just because these kinds of subtle 
signals in the culture around us are what help form our unconscious biases. And so we just want to not let them flow over us without attending to them. We want to name them and pay attention to them so we can maybe mitigate their effects in our lives. So Matt, it is now time for us to do Florilegia, where we each have picked a sparklet from the text. What sparklet did you have? I have to say my sparklet was kind of a grim one this week, but it really stood out in the text for me. Uh, So I'm going to read it now. It lowered its head over the wound in the animal's side and began to drink its blood. So maybe it's obvious where this comes from in the chapter, but this is after Harry and Malfoy have been separated off with Fang and they're wandering alone in the forest and they come upon the carcass of a dead unicorn and they hear something slithering and then a hooded figure comes out of the wood and begins feeding at the wound of the of the unicorn and and drinking its blood. Yeah. What about that sparkled up at you, Matthew? The reason it sparkled up, maybe sparkles the wrong verb. The reason this line stuck with me from this chapter is just it's a really vivid and arresting image, right? Like the description of the unicorn blood is being silvery blue and incandescent in the dark. And that silvery scattered like blood spray along the ground. And then a creature, a hooded creature coming feeding at that wound. It's just a it's a hard image to get out of your head. And I think that's why it it stuck with me. It is not something that stuck with me, so I'm really glad that you drew our attention to it because it is very vivid. Mine is the light of adventure was kindling again. And what is interesting to me about this are two things. One is that it is kindling for Ron and not for Hermione and Harry. And so on this theme of punishment, it was interesting because Ron goes unpunished, even though he's like just as involved in this ridge back heist as the other two. And so it's interesting that The adventure was kindling in his eye again first. But the other thing about it is that, you know, Harry commits to not being adventurous anymore, right? Not sticking his nose places. And we know that that is not going to last. And I think what I like about it is I like don't try to change yourself. Try to make yourself the most helpful or loving version of yourself, but these kids love adventure and it's just going to keep kindling. And so I wish for them that they find healthy, safe ways to engage with that. But like Ron can't help it. He is like still healing from this dragon bite and like the light of adventure is already kindling again for him. And I just The more I do chaplaincy with people, the more I realize how hard people are on themselves and how much they dislike things about themselves that aren't Hmm. bad, right? Like Harry is like, I'm nosy and it's bad. I'm like, no, it's not. (laughs) Like you're curious and you want to help in the world. And like, that's not bad. How you're doing it isn't safe and isn't always productive and helpful. But I just love that Ron is like, yeah, let's go for it again. Yeah, the Gryffindors, whether they're they're in Gryffindor because they're like this or being Gryffindor makes them like this or some of both, it's true. Yeah. Like it's just in them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's read these two sentences together. It lowered okay. its head over the wound in the animal side and began to drink the blood. The light of adventure was kindling again. Ooh. What did that make you think of? I mean, I, I feel like I'm reading this from from Voldemort's perspective, right? Like, (laughs) no, right. Like it's like Voldemort is getting nourished. Voldemort's coming back. Like Voldemort's getting closer and closer to like his lifelong quest and adventure, which is to triumph over death and over the whole world. And he has been dormant. He's been outcast for so many years. And just like feeding at the wound of this unicorn is actually, it's getting him going. It's stirring him up. Ron's adventure is also going to be Voldemort's over these next seven years, right? And so it's hard not to not to put them together that way and not see the adventure as one that Voldemort's embarking upon. How about how about you? What do you think when you read this? I read it as the light of adventure was kindling again for Harry. So he watches hmm. like mid punishment, he watches this creature's head, you know, uh, suck on the wound of an animal side. 
And he's like, yeah. I, this isn't going to last, right? Like, that yeah. I can... It's going to be worth 50 points. <laughs> right. Yep. Like, <laughs> like, right, the stakes are higher than the house cup. Right. Like, I'm seeing something violent and unjust and an innocent creature is suffering and I have to do something about it. The light of adventure is kindling again. And I think that this is exactly the kind of thing that Harry gets distracted by. He gets distracted by unjust things. And so I could totally see this kindling that within him. Yeah. Well, let's flip the sentences. So the other way, it is the light of adventure was kindling again. It lowered its head over the wound in the animal side and began to drink the blood. There's something, I mean, the image of feeding it the wound of the unicorn is overtaking for me so much of the interpretive possibility here, right? Like it's so much at that spot, I think, because it's such a graphic image, I think it's kind of obscuring other interpretive possibilities. So I see it that way again. I see it like mid-feed. Oh, it's kindling again. Let me get, take another drink, right? I, so I'm actually interested in what else you might see in it. I guess this also makes me feel as though the unicorn is found dead, not murdered. And so mm -hmm. it's like you come upon this opportunity as sad as it is. And this opportunity is making you feel like things are possible again, right? It's like there are all those really sad stories about taking the boots off of a dead soldier, right? Like that mm -hmm. someone else's demise can improve your life in a material way. I think it's just like a harsh truth of the universe. And so I, I read this a little bit like that. Like there's this opportunity coming, even though it's like having to do this, participate in this violent action. Yeah. There's that line from the chapter where I think it's Frenzy says, the, the blood of the pure and the defenses will keep you alive, but at a terrible price, right? Like the adventure that Voldemort had been trying to embark upon since he was a child was one towards immortality. And... To nourish that adventure, to feed that adventure and make it possible, he actually has to sacrifice the, the pure and the defenseless. And so, like, you're right, there is something in this reading which brings into greater relief just, like, what it's going to cost. Like, what is he demanded and how much he's going to be willing to sacrifice others for the sake of this adventure that he wants to, to take himself on, actually, at the expense of everybody else, even those most loyal to him. Well, Matt, thank you so much for doing this really creepy Florilegia with me. Yeah, sorry for my sparklet, but thanks for helping me think through it. No, I love it. Matt, it's also now time for us to offer blessings for members of our community who were lost due to COVID. Goody Paz Nunez, who was 65, a best friend and auntie to many. Rick Tenenfeld a wizard of sublime sounds. Rose Delaney, 94, great-grandmother to Danny, Rebecca, and Adriana, grandma to Dan and Shauna, and mother of Loretta. Delali Bonsa, who is 64, a father and a lover of books. Michael Vang, an uncle, a father, and a grandfather. And Lynn Hewitt, who is 35, a mother, sister, wife, nurse, and fashionista. May all of their memories be a blessing. This week's voicemail is from Katie. Hi, Vanessa, Matt, Ariana, and everyone at Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. My name is Katie. I'm 11 years old, and I love your podcast. I listen to it every day, and I'm so grateful that it exists, so thank you. Today, I'd like to bless Draco Malfoy for a reason that I don't know if you guys have touched on so much, which is that Draco is jealous of Harry. When Draco approaches Harry in book one, asking to be his friend, he doesn't actually want to be his friend. He just wants to be considered cool and popular and stuff because Harry is cool and popular and stuff. So, of course, Draco will be too if he's his, is Harry's friend. But when Harry turns him down and he finds Ron and Hermione and they become true friends and Draco just has Crabbe and Goyle who are more like bodyguards than friends, I feel like he must have been kind of jealous. 
sure, part of the reason that Draco bullies Harry is because he was raised by people who believe that purebloods are better than other people, and Harry is half-blood. But Harry is rich and famous, and he has true friends. Draco's not famous, and as far as we know, Draco has never had a friend. Isn't that just really sad? I mean, he has Crab and Hoyle, and he has his Slytherin followers, but that's not the same as a friend. The only really sign of love that we ever see shown for Draco is from his mother, Narcissa, which we only see in later books, briefly, um, although it's a big sign of love. But imagine if Draco just had a friend who he could turn to, um, who was kind and patient and loyal and who didn't give up on Draco, even though he wasn't the best person. That could have really turned around Draco's story. So that's why I'm blessing Draco. I think he's jealous of Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and that's why he seems to specifically hate them in particular. Also, of course, that Hermione is muggle-born and Ron's family doesn't have much. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Bye! Katie, I think that is such a great reading of Draco and such a perceptive and wise reading of, of Draco. Like, I think that you're absolutely right. Like, halfway through your voicemail, I thought to myself, yeah, and Draco doesn't have any friends. And then you immediately said, and Draco doesn't have any friends, <laughs> right? Like... It is jealousy, but as you note in your voice memo, it's more than jealousy. It's also like this, this longing that he has to, I mean, even in his family, like, you know, like, I think that there's not a lot of love and support, natural love and support in his family. You're right. There's a sign that his mom risks something for him for the sake of love later on in the books, but that's not the kind of love that makes you feel safe and secure, right? Or makes you take risks with friendship when you go to a new school. And there's even ways that you could read like what Snape and Dumbledore do for him by not allowing him to to kill Dumbledore, that that's an act of love in its own way. But again, not the kind of love that makes you feel supported and secure. So you can make friends with new people, right? And that's in this moment, you're right, in this book, it's both what Draco most wants and because it's frustrated, also what he most lashes out against. And that's a really great reading and really deserving of of a blessing too, I think. Yeah, and you can see that there are more and more reasons for him to be jealous of Harry as Harry becomes friends with Ron, as Harry becomes friends with Hermione. Like, not only is Harry rich and famous, then Harry rejects Draco, and then Harry gets friends, right? It's yeah. There's a lot for him to be comparing himself to Harry and see himself as lacking. So, Katie, thank you so much for this blessing. I I really appreciate it. Well, so Matt, after that beautiful blessing from Katie, who do you want to bless? I'm going to bless some unexpected folks too, actually. I mentioned the centaurs before, but in particular, I want to bless Bane and Ronan. I'm not necessarily blessing them because they're they're the, the red and the black centaur. It's almost because they're so dismissive of human concerns that they look up at Mars and they don't really care about human stuff. And the reason why is because I often think about animals, especially really intelligent animals like whales or sea mammals, right? And I learn about how whales have culture and how other animals have culture. And I sometimes wonder, like, if they just might look at the way we manage our affairs, we human animals, and just think, you all are a mess. Mm-hmm. Like, get yourselves together. Start start taking care of your business because you all are a mess. And I see Bane and Ronan as non-human animals here. And it's really easy to resent them because they do not see the stakes of these concerns. But when you think about how oblivious humans are to the stakes of concerns for every other non-human animal on the planet, right? it's really understandable that some non-human animals would look at us and be like, that's not my problem, dude. Take care of yourself. And so I want to bless Bane and Ronan for not being human. I love that. Who are you blessing? blessing Ron. He has two really shining moments in this chapter to me. One is that I feel like he really believes in the power of the library. It's actually Ron who says, when in doubt, go to the library. And in this chapter, he says, oh, I bet someone figured out how to get past Fluffy. There's probably a book in the library about it. And I just love that he like really believes that like knowledge and research will get you meaningful answers. And then the other thing I want to bless him for is that he fails at it, but he tries to stay up for Neville, Harry, and Hermione when they're being punished. And I think he 
you know, feels like he did just as bad of a thing as them and he didn't have to get punished. And so he should at least stay up for them. And I just think that that is very sweet that he stays up in the common room and waits for them. And so I just feel like this is real loyalty. He's learning from Hermione about how great the library is. He's staying up. He's just like, he's a really good friend. He's a good friend. That's right. God bless Ron. So Matt, next week we are reading chapter 16 through the trap door. What do you think our theme should be? Well, it's my turn to tell a story, Vanessa. So I want you to choose. What should our theme be for next week? I really want to talk about freedom. After punishment, let's talk about freedom. That's what feels lingering to me. Sounds great. Okay. Well, you've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can find listeners who are discussing the episodes in the Facebook common room. You can also join our local groups and come join the community of people who are supporting us on Patreon. You can leave us a review on iTunes and send us a voicemail with a blessing. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. And our engineer is Erica Wong. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. He's a great wedding date. And we are distributed by 8Cast. Thanks this week go to Katie for her really wonderful voicemail, to Molly Baxter, to Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Casper to Kyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones lost to COVID for this week. Punishment comes from (laughs) Etymology Corner with Matt. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.